Hello and welcome to Country Roads Confidential. I am your host, Chris Anderson, publisher of Earsports.com, the West Virginia site on the 247sports.com network. We're recording this on a Monday. It is game week, as the kids say. Um, and with that, we're going to begin what we hope becomes a recurring segment. Uh, we intend to be a recurring segment throughout the, the season of a Q&A mailbag. We're going to pitch out questions on the board or try to cultivate some questions from the board after each game, either Sunday, and then try to record the podcast on Monday. And to help me do that is one, Mr. Mike Sazer. Mike, how are you? I'm good. I'm limber. I'm live. For a while, I didn't think this day was coming, so it's here. Uh, and that's all I want to do. I just want to keep my head down and not look around and not see reports about people being told to isolate because they have the virus and nevertheless going to a frat party. Um, I don't want to see any more stuff about unruly house parties in town. I don't want to hear about Code Red or anything like that. Um, Code Red is usually reserved for like a rainy Saturday afternoon and a few good men and not the end of August and early September when I'm trying to get my college football season in. So I'm sticking my head in the sand until we get to the first game Saturday. We have had our heads down so much that both you and I forgot that today was Labor Day. So we, I think we're doing a good job of staying focused on the task at hand here, Mike. It's not um, really my holiday. Yeah, I, I don't, I was going to say, I, I don't really celebrate it. I just recognize it as a, I mean, I celebrate it, but we don't go anywhere. Don't go on vacation for it or anything. Um, it's obviously right during football season. So it's pretty busy. It's not like it's a great time to, to be leaving with this job, but um, I just completely forgot about it this year. Happens. I mean, it happens often. Like typically I'm getting ready for a conference call with the big 12 or coming back from like Atlanta a couple of years ago and they played on a Saturday, but stayed an extra day. So I was like, Oh cool. I'll have an extra day. That was like the last time I probably commemorated it. So it's kind of, yeah, it frequently just feels like a Monday for me in between the first and second game. This one just happens to be before the first game. Uh, that got me thinking, let me let me jump the gun and, and jump to the front of the line of this Q&A with my own cue mm. for your A. Um, how do you feel about Big 12 media days being for West Virginia the day before, the night before the game or day before the season opening game? How do you feel about that? So I'm pretty sure it's already done. Oh, you think they've already recorded it and they're just going to send it out? Yeah, I don't think it's a and a like like we get to log into Zoom and ask questions. Like my, I, I don't, I just because one, have you gotten anything about this? We probably shouldn't be doing our our housekeeping on the on the call here, but <laughs> I haven't gotten an email or anything about that. Have you? No. Okay. Um, I just remember like a friend Sean Mariner was talking about being back at work. I think it might have been after his his child was born. Congratulations to him. But it's just something on Twitter about filming the Media Day video with Neil Brown. I was like, Media Day? What? And I was just panicking because I forgot something or I didn't get the email or I missed it or whatever, right? Um, and no, he was just you know, pre-taping something. But I think it's already done. So it might just be he does a quick Q&A with like someone from the school, maybe. Or he does something that's like kind of canned or maybe it's like a Big 12 correspondent who's on Zoom. I don't know, but I think it's already done. We'll see. I'm not sure I'm interested in how they do all these things in this era. Well, something else that'll be new and interesting, and we maybe will have to figure it out as it goes, um, is the first question from one of our users, from user Lighten. Uh, I would like to know how this defensive play calling is going to work, obviously alluding to the fact that uh, West Virginia does not have a true defensive coordinator, and they're going to be splitting up the duties uh, between multiple coaches and the play calling between multiple coaches. So, Mike, how, how exactly is this going to work? I think they've tried to figure it out via scrimmage as best as they can. So they got in, what, two really good scrimmages and one that was kind of a, a scrimmage scrimmage. So basically two live play calling situations and one where there's kind of one before that that was just kind of loose and, and uh, unstructured. So they should have the answer to this question. My sense is that it's going to be probably exactly what you think where they both call a play. Like Jordan Leslie will call the play on the front and Jamal Adai will call the play in the back. You can split your defense that way. Your fronts and your coverages, they do have to be connected, but they don't have to be sent in with one play call. And you can maybe explain this better, Chris. But So you can you can call a play for your linebackers and your defensive line. It's a blitz. It's a, an outside. 
uh, pressure, whatever you want to call it. And that happens up front. But separate from that, you're going to have how your defense plays coverage behind it. And you could have cover two. You could have cover three. You could have man. Now, how that works if you want to blitz a corner or a safety, you know, how do you get your safety to join the front on a blitz? I don't know. That's stuff they're going to have to iron out. But it exists. It's common. TCU most famously does it where you call your front and you call your back and it's separate. Now, how do you call that, though? Like, physically call it? Are we going to have two Trent Jacksons calling in the play on defense? Does Leslie call a play for the front and a die call a play in the back? Is it one call that has, like, two layers? I don't know. That's going to be interesting because everything that I've known from here, from covering Vic to Keith Patterson to Tony Gibson to Joe DeForest to Jeff Castile, it was all one guy calling the play. So I don't know, but I think it's going to be a co-op where they, they figured it out. Maybe they'll figure it out as they go along, but I think you're going to see both of them contributing to what is called the front and the back. Yeah, uh, agreed. I think it is going to be, I mean, just like you said, the, the front line guy calling Jordan Leslie, calling the front line defense, and then Adai calling the back line. But, and this maybe ties into a follow-up question that we got from Blue and Gold 81, and I'll ask it in a second. The, these coaches, are they're going to have to, talk with each other because they have to there are certain play calls or or stunts and twists and everything else that goes on with the defensive front that does not align well with certain coverages like you can't have for instance say guys twisting and blitzing on one side and then also have a cornerback blitzing on that side so you need to be kind of in lockstep these two coaches they need to know what the other is calling so that they can adjust their own play call so it probably related. goes to like a middle linebacker, though. That's probably why it goes to one player, and the one player gets the front and the back and holds it in. It may be something like that. So, okay, I mean, it's something to watch. But so to follow up on that, which coaches do you think will be where on game day? Like on the field? I'm assuming this means on the field, in the box. How do you think it's going to work? I think I have the answer to this one. Are you ready? Yeah. Leslie, Adai, and Castile on the field. You need your okay. two coordinators down there. And why not have Jeff Castillo on the field? Um, if things get hot, he can handle it. He could work with Leslie. He could work with Jamal. Piece of cake. And then above the field, Dante Wright, so he can see the secondary. He's the safeties coach now. He can see the secondary. And Jeff Coons, who you don't need both your linebackers coaches, he and Castillo, on the field. And he's the special teams coordinator. So give him that perspective above the field i like it because uh, i think you get that way you get one secondary coach on the field one in the box one line you know one front line kind of guy on the field one up in the box and and like you said and 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 you get to witness when you're in the press box uh as media too uh you know it is one big box and the coaches are just in a separate partition of that box for those that mm-hmm. don't know for the most part and that's a great view you really see it's better than tv you see the whole field. You see exactly what happens. You can see plays developing before you can see them on TV. And you certainly can see them better than you do down on the field. And I think that's why you see a lot of coaches. Some coordinators actually end up staying up in the box at time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One more on this before we go. Um, it's very weird that there's not even co-coordinators. There's just five defensive assistant coaches, one guy in charge of the front, one guy in charge of the back. Some intel on this. Are you ready, Chris? Mm-hmm. I, they're, they're going to go out and try to get a defensive coordinator full-time in the offseason. There's there's names. There's a name out there that I think are probably high on his list. Not surprising, I would think, but they're out there. And it makes no sense to do it now. You're not going to get a guy to come into this situation. Uh, at the time it happened, it just, it just logically didn't work. And maybe you give Leslie and Adai a chance. Perhaps it works. You haven't painted yourself into a corner where you are replacing coordinators. You're not putting a line on a guy's resume that isn't there in a year. And sometime in the future, he has to ask why. Hey, why were you the co-coordinator? Why were you the coordinator in 2020? And then you weren't, but you stayed on the staff a year later. Weird things, but I think it makes sense that, one, neither one of those guys earned it. And that's not a slight to them, but I think that they would probably tell you, I'd much rather earn it and be promoted or hired as a coordinator or co-coordinator. Um, but also, can you give a guy a raise right now? Probably not. So, Keep it as it is. Let guys worry about the job and not the title. And that's all the guys on defense at this point. And then play the cards and then shuffle at the end of the season. And then I think they're going to go out and get somebody. I don't know who doesn't come back. I'm not sure that Jeff Castile, for example, is a long-term 
plan for defensive staff, but I think that they're going to go out and look really hard for a full-time defensive coordinator in the offseason. Don't disagree with you. I think it's a smart move. All Everything you said there just makes sense. That it, I don't get the feeling from these coaches, and you know, obviously we haven't seen them or talked to them or interacted with them in forever. Uh, Six months. Like. Yeah. But um, this profession as a whole, in general, um, it's I don't want to say it's ego, but <clears throat> titles are important and and moving up the ladder is important. Moving up the ladder the right way is also important. Like you noted, they don't want to just be gifted this just because of a technicality. They want to actually earn it. So it is important. It's a delicate situation. You can't just throw around titles willy-nilly and and not expect repercussions for all of that. So yep. it, it's a delicate dance that that Neil Brown and Shane Lyons and everybody had to to do with this. Yep. Uh, moving on to the next question. Uh, from Believer 10, last year our linebackers were somewhat of a weakness for this team. Do you think it can become a strength with the addition of Fields, a healthy Cowan, a veteran in Tonk- Tonkery, Chandler, and a more experienced Bartlett? Add in Smith coming down to the box and Lowe's contributions as well. Chris, the sun is somewhat of a heating element for the earth. <laughs> The linebackers were somewhat of a weakness for the defense. This is your topic. You take this one. Yeah, I, uh, it bothered me a lot last year. Uh, obviously, injuries, lack of depth uh, was a big problem last season. And they were moving guys all over the place. I think Tonkery started at each of the three linebacker spots at some point last year. Uh, his best spot might have been Will, although the best, the best spot for him might have been Will, the best spot for him to play. For West Virginia, might have been Mike because of his knowledge and his ability to kind of uh, lead that defense, lead that linebacking core. So uh, it, it was it was a strange time last year, and as we've noted before, it got so bad that uh, Vic Coding was running what what was that? I can't remember what it's called a five one five one five defense or something similar to that, where they they just didn't even bother with linebackers at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer to the question is yes emphatically yes um adding fields and i I, i'm trying to find a way to not say this it's not negative but when you bring somebody in like fields and he is going to be he is he is in my opinion uh, and probably a lot of people's opinions the best linebacker right he's in and he's just instantly the best linebacker on the team and once you slot him in as the best linebacker on the team it moves everybody down kind of a slot on that ranking and that adds a depth to everyone. In and no offense to Tonkery, but if he is like your second best linebacker, again, your linebacking core might be in trouble. But if he is your fourth or fifth best linebacker, and he's a senior that is bringing a lot of experience to the team, can fill in at all three spots. That's amazing. That's great. You want that, but maybe you don't want a guy that that that's you know starting at Mike, but only ends up with one or two tackles in an entire game. So. Adding a healthy Cowan, adding Fields, it, that that just changes the whole thing for West Virginia. It changes the whole view of that entire linebacking core for me. Yeah. How many times do you get into a game where one guy goes out and the next guy on the depth chart goes in just because that's the way the two deep is? Sometimes, infrequently, and that's especially true on your offensive line and I think a linebacker this year, and that's what Fields gives you. He may be your number one or number two, Mike, if he's your one or two, Bartlett makes your bandit better. Um, let's say that Tonkery's great, isn't going to move. Bartlett's really good, and you're wondering about Will. Maybe Lowe isn't cutting it. Maybe Chandler's not cutting it. You move him. You move Fields to Will, and all of a sudden your Will is better. Um, that may happen before a game, the start of the season, the start of a certain part of the schedule. I don't know, but if it happens in a game too, if someone goes down, hurts a knee, hurts an ankle, quick shift, uh, move your mic to Will, move your mic to Bandit, and then things are quality players at all those positions you're not weakening things by moving a guy at the depth chart you're moving your second best player at linebacker let's say Tonkery, uh or let's just say fields you're moving him to will because something will happen there something happens to bandit you move bartlett over there just that one addition has helped them in two or three different spots it's pretty unique moving on to the next question from gd full with the covid issue hanging out there and ready to strike would it be smart to get garrett green some playing time so that we have three scholarship quarterbacks with game experience, quote, just in case. He's going to play Saturday. 
I would I if he doesn't play Saturday, there are bigger issues than making sure your third string quarterback gets snaps after I, seeing Eastern Kentucky last week. I just yeah, I would worry about that. And um I think he's gonna I think he'll get in. I don't know how much he'll play. He might just get a taste of what it's like to snap and everything. And I just I don't know why he wouldn't if you have a chance to do it. Moreover, I'm not sure what Austin Kendall has to prove to you. Um, I do think that they're going to have to be really smart about their, what do they call that, Monday Night Football? Where mm-hmm. they get those young guys. They're going to have to make sure that he's out there and he's running big stuff and then doing playbook stuff, not execute the Monday Night Football offense. But I would I would definitely try to get him involved. I'm also a proponent of, of having something for him. I really am. Like I, I keep bringing this up. Defenses are going to catch up to offenses. And Offenses are at their most predictable in down and distance situations and in strategic situations. They're most predictable coming off a goal line in the red zone, on the goal line, third and short, third and long. Um, There are going to be times where a defense is going to have you in their crosshairs in games seven, eight, nine, and 10 when you're second and one from the nine yard line, right? All right, this is what they do on second and short. This is what they do inside the red zone expect these things. Well, it's going to make you very easy to stop and it's going to be more true than ever this year because you're not going to have time or resources to add to your playbook on offense. You're going to rehearse and you're going to get sharp and sharp and sharp. Change the notes on the music sheet, <laughs> getting those down in distant situations and bring in a different quarterback who can do something different. Um, I don't know if he's a red zone package guy, but he might be a second short guy, a third and short guy who can just do different things for you. Just, slightly one step out of the crosshairs and then when they take their shot they miss you because you've gotten something up your sleeve that you're prepared for i would be really i'm a proponent of playing him in those situations this year it doesn't hurt it doesn't count and it could be an advantage for you he does absolutely bring something a little bit different i think he would be pretty clearly the most mobile quarterback of the three so getting him out there in those kind of situations might might help like you said packages teach him teach him four or six plays and be like this is it this, this is what you're going to run this year, and we're going to throw you out there every once in a while when we need you. Um, moving on to another question, this one from Preston Co. What is the current financial situation in the WVU athletic department, and how close are we become, to becoming Utah? For those that don't know, uh, Utah is, is about to or already has, Mike, you can correct me here, cutting – uh, a significant number of sports um, with no, because of no football this fall. Um, they do not have the finances to support the vast majority of these sports. They are kind of like West Virginia in that they're, I don't want to say out on an island, but they do have to travel quite a distance. Act 12, it is a long way to from Utah to, say, Los Angeles to play UCLA or USC. It is a long way for them to travel for some of these games. So, is West Virginia in a similar situation, Mike? Do you think it's that dire? Um, I, no, I don't think that they're going to lay the whole staff off. I think that the reason that Utah did that was just to – it's CYA. Like, listen, we're not having sports. Why do we have these people working? Let's not waste money on this. That's a harsh thing, but why do I need these people working on athletic endeavors where we have no athletic endeavors? Now, I haven't looked at the details of that. I hope that that doesn't include athletic trainers – academic advisors, so on and so forth, support people. But if that means your your Olympic coaches and your football coach, listen, I'm sorry, but to be frank, your athletic department is circling the drain financially. And if you're not coaching and you're not, air quotes here, needed, I, I can't pay you. Like, there's a fiscal responsibility there. So I understand it. It's harsh, but, like, those are the numbers. And everything you explained, they're kind of in a bit of a unique situation there, too. Also, the Pac-12's future is financially always dubious right so you got to be careful there so i get that west virginia is not in that situation they're going to have football games they're going to have women's soccer they're going to have volleyball um no men's soccer i often forget that because they're in the mac and the mac isn't playing no cross country because i don't believe they could put a schedule together they make it like a one-off competition in there but um i would be concerned if i were some of the coaches on those teams not because i did anything wrong but because my services aren't again in quotes here needed so, listen, they're they're looking at major, major losses. What's the number that lines throughout? How many million? Oh, God. 20, I don't right? Yeah, I was about to say 20, and that was before. That was with football still happening. Yeah, so here's the deal. They're looking at a $20 million haircut based on fractional attendance. I believe the number that they, they based things on was that 25 to 33%, knowing they weren't going to get full houses. So you're talking 
a million off every game. So every time that you don't have a full crowd, you're losing another million bucks probably. That's a big deal. Um, so if you're looking at 20 million and you don't have fans on this one here coming up Saturday, it's 21 million. If you don't have fans for Baylor, 22 million. That's going to be important too. Um, you're going to save some money in the operation by not having men's soccer, not having um, cross country. It's not a lot. You're going to save some money operationally by only having Big 12 matches of women's soccer and volleyball. It's not a lot. So if this gets bad or if bad goes to worse, as it were, you're going to have to find some ways to do it. Um, the fact is that they'll probably keep a lot of these pay cuts in, a lot of the procedures that we witnessed for men's basketball, renegotiating contracts. I think that'll be the same. You know, if they do go out and get a defensive coordinator, like I said, how do you do that? How do you do that contract? He's, Lions does not want to do multi-year contracts right now. That may change in a couple of months, but how much can you pay a guy to come in right now? Um, can you buy him out of a contract? I don't know. I don't think so. So it's not a good situation. How bad it gets is TBD. It doesn't look like it's going to be good. So that's problematic. And, and then here's something else, too. Um, every Big 12 television game, so that means the ones that make it on the Fox or the ABC ESPN family of networks. So anytime that's ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, Fox, Fox Sports 1, that's worth about $4 million for the conference. $400,000 to West Virginia. Every time that one of those games doesn't go off, you lose that money. So, for example, TCU, SMU isn't happening. Um, is that game at TCU? Yes. That's $400,000 out of West Virginia's pocket, and it's not its fault because that money goes into the bank that gets paid out at the end of the season. So that's a fraction of the larger income, but if you can't make that deposit into the account, you don't make that money. So that hurts. So every time that happens and the game isn't played, you're losing $400,000. That happens, let's just say it happens to one team or one time to every team, $4 million, right? That's huge. So now you're 21 that we just talked about goes to 25 million. So this problem is bad. It's going to take years to be whole again. Lions said that expect flat, not income, not loss. Even if they make money, they're going to put it back into getting rid of the debt, addressing their debt. That'd be flat for many, many years too. A lot of this is going to depend on season tickets in the future. How big do TV contracts get? How whole can TV contracts stay this season moving forward? Um, what happens in basketball? We're, we're again talking about the projection right now, assuming the basketball is back. That's not happening. Um, so, yeah, the answer is bad. It's not going to get better for a while. It could get worse much sooner. I don't think you're looking at a, a complete shutdown like the Pac-12 schools in Utah specifically did. Next question is kind of a joint question. They seem to be related. Uh, part of it's from Believer 10. Part of it is from Gwen 77, both having to deal with uh, the wide receiver position or the inside receiver position for West Virginia. Um Believer 10 seems to think that the slot position has more talent than usual. Gwyn noted that he thinks there seems to be some depth, but that most of the depth is, quote, C-plus slash B-minus talent, and there is no alpha dog. So let's kind of combine those and go inside and outside, or combine and then split. Um, your thoughts on the inside and your thoughts on the outside. What is the kind of state of affairs or state of the program, state of the wide receiver position for West Virginia. How do you, how do you feel heading into the season and where it compares to say years past? I kind of agree and disagree lightly with both of the sentiments there. I think that they've got, what do we have? We had about 10 guys on our travel roster, right? Uh huh. I think one to 10 is, is pretty close. The number 10's quality is close to the number one, the number one, two, three, those guys are better. But I think the, the bottom of your, ranking is pretty good too good enough right and that's not always in the case here we've seen guys who just who they, they've just been scared to put them on the field in the past different coaching staffs been like i'm not playing more than four or five guys i think that you could reasonably expect to see six seven eight guys in a game by, by the time this thing gets up and running it could be down for maybe 10 or 11 early on but like i think that you're going to find a core that's pretty good um i do think that if you got into a a two-minute drill you could run three guys out there in 11 personnel and be okay. I don't think you'd have a problem with Sam James, TJ Simmons, and sounds like Wheaton, but apparently Wheaton and Ryan are still in a bit of a battle for the one spot there, but I would feel pretty good. First and 10 on my point, I got to get into field goal range with those three on the field. I don't have a problem with that. Um, now, beyond that, would you feel as good with Ollie Jennings and 
well, we'll get to this. The inside thing is shaken up a little bit. Did not hear this. It's been relayed to me, though, that um, Isaiah Esdale, who we assumed was the obvious number two behind Simmons at that slot position, he's outside now behind Sam James. I don't know who is the, the bigger-bodied inside guy like Simmons and Esdale behind him. That changes things up a little bit there, too. So I like Simmons a lot. I think he's flexible. I think he can play outside in a pinch. Um, I think the Winston Wright's probably going to have a, you know, a statistically improved season. Beyond that, listen, Malashevitz is a cool story. I've probably written more about Keon Wakefield than maybe his mom or dad. And Reese Smith is a pretty good player, I think, who's going to give them a lot of positive contributions this year i'm trying to figure out who are the two spots at inside so to go back to the original point yeah like do we have that that great depth of talent i think it's good but is it reliable proven on those inside spots i don't know that's a tough one right now i'm with you on the inside i think like you said grayson malastrovich uh Burstall does some good things um, but is he a guy that you want starting in a big 12 game not sure about that reese smith true freshman not sure you want him starting in 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 Big 12 games right now. Um, Zach Thompson, we're not even sure if he's going to be cleared to play yet. So that's a question mark. Uh, I think there are a lot more questions on the inside than there are on the outside, is what I'm getting out here. So, um, wait, 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 wait. Go, 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 go. go. Wait, waivers. Thompson, Hubbard, Young. I've heard nothing yet. And then the NCAA is speaking of furloughs, put their entire office on ice. Mm <laughs> That's not good. So if you're Hubbard, Dobson, Young, are you just going to wait until then? This is what's interesting about this year, though. This would be infuriating in a regular year. It's still really upsetting right now because I think people with softer cases who got into the system later are getting approved um, inside the conference even, too. But also, what does it matter? If you add Jaquay Hubbard three weeks from now, it doesn't count against him. So maybe he isn't there for the first game or two for you. But, boy, if you add him or Dobson or Scotty Young late in the season, does it really matter? Yeah, and you're right. Uh, what was it? Uh, Marcel Harris, the five-star linebacker from LSU that committed to TCU in mid to late July and has already been approved. Uh, and and then there's other guys. I, I think there's one I was following because West Virginia poked around on him a little bit. Uh, Chris Blake, Blake, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, the transfer offensive lineman transfer from Florida. He committed to Syracuse in January. I'm pretty sure he enrolled then, too. Um, still not cleared. <laughs> January. And, and, you know, and Har- or still not cleared, still not no decision. Meanwhile, Harris, who just committed uh, six weeks ago, cleared, ready to go, playing for TCU. Um, it, it's got to be frustrating for a lot of these guys when it just seems to be no rhyme or reason to win or who gets picked and what and why and whether you're not you're going to be eligible so yep um another com- kind of combined question because both of them have to deal with letty brown um first uh this this part's from chad mack and then the second part's from believer 10 again could letty brown develop into a real weapon at running back what is his ceiling top five conference running back and follow up from believer 10 <clears throat> um is who's going to step up behind brown um, because obviously the running back by committee is a thing. And if there's injuries or COVID or whatever quarantine, is it uh, Tony Mathis or Alex Infield? I think you're going to have the poo-poo platter if, if something happens to Brown. I think you're going to see Sinkfield. I think you're going to see Mathis. You might see Sparrow. I don't know. You might see Dobson. Just I think you're going to find a way to run the ball there as best as you can. Um, I, listen, the jury's out on Brown, right? Am I wrong there? Yeah. He, I th- go ahead. No, he, you're not he's, wrong. Been, he's been a good complimentary part for two seasons behind, listen, behind running backs that are good. I mean, he played behind McCoy and kind of Petaway the last two years. But what, what a, what a run for Martel Petaway, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not something you said very much about Martel Petaway, <laughs> but he's opted out of middle Tennessee state this year. So um, he carried 91 times, in 2018 and 107 times last year. So you're talking fewer than 200 carries. That is 200 carries is, is 2020 lead back stuff. And he hasn't done that in two years. He hasn't been healthy for both of those seasons too. Um, When your leading rusher has 367 yards in a season. And when you are 
in January, February, patting the guy in the back for 13 carries and 62 yards, I think you're spoon feeding the guy and you're, you're trying to keep things reasonable. I'm not sure that he's a thousand yard guy. I'm not sure he's a 12 game. Well, he's not a 12 game guy this year. I'm not sure he's a 10 game guy. It's because I don't know. Um, physically it's there. Um, he's a tough guy who can get inside and he can wiggle and get outside. I'm not sure he pulls away from people. Um, I think he's a, a plus receiver too, because he's actually done some damage in different, different times in that in the past. So he can be a good part of this offense. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he could surpass a thousand yards and score a bunch of times in different ways. I'm more concerned about his longevity, so I think this is a really good question. Um, can he be a top half of the Big 12 back? That's an interesting ceiling. I, I initially scoffed at that, and I said, I hope so, right, if he's one of the five best yeah. in a 10-team league. But listen, that's the ladder you got to climb here. And I think similar to what Brown said about the running game in particular, you're not going to have a running game that went from second to worst in the entire country to second best in the entire country. You're going to have maybe like a top 80 running game this year and perhaps next year you're top 40 so it's gonna be incremental so maybe brown isn't a top five back this season maybe he's right around the middle but listen if he contributes consistently he plays he's there he starts every game or he plays a lot every game that's fine back in back behind him i don't know like i've i've drank the alex singfield kool-aid before and i'm ready to do it again but i really think that that mathis is more physically like brown and can do more of the offense the way that brown does so he might be a better plug and play guy and i just i kind of think they like sparrow and if they have to give him a chance they'll give him a chance yeah so you mentioned the yeah of course you should be top five or or should at least have a ceiling of top five um he should but remember the, the first couple guys we're talking about in this conference say one two and three uh hubbard puka williams Brees hall from iowa state you know it, that's that's three i would say might definitively be ahead of him. And then there's a couple other backs in this league that are are pretty good. So he's he would have to, you know, do better than he's done so far. But I think he can do it. And I think to start the year at least, it'll be something like a 60-30-10 split in favor of Brown. And if he goes down, then something like 40-40 and then 20, whatever you can mix up, like you were mentioning, moving Zach Dobson over and just trying to find some semblance of a running game um last two questions here the first we'll make this one uh, quick and easy you can answer it as long as you'd like add it where did it go where did it go uh from Bitcruncher, how many offensive linemen do you expect to play in the rotation rotation this season and why this is good are we talking week one we're talking game 10 um let's start with one let's say hubbard's not in you're starting your five, so left to right, Uzebu, committer, Barrent, Brown, Hughes. Easy. Now, behind them, Yates at left tackle. I guess Frazier at center. So, definitely seven. And now I'm wondering... Where the extra three guys in? Because you gotta have ten. You can't go somewhere without ten. You can't go like at the home game. Dress however many you want, but you need to like I think reasonably expect ten guys to play, even if they only do PAT and field goal. So Parker Moore, and then are we talking Jordan White? Are, are we already in the Jordan White cycle? Is this happening? Have you skipped out of Bryson Mays? Where were we? No, Mays. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm looking at my list and I have him on the other side. Yeah, because I have him as a TBD because he's I guess the Swiss Army knife. So yeah, so definitely there. So now you're is your ninth guy? Are we? Is this really happening? Like, are we on this? I'm, I'm on board with White. I think it's, like, again, if he's the 12th best player in your recruiting class, you have a heck of a recruiting class. And in the future, when you re-rank these things, as I know you will, he's going to be a top three, top two guy yeah. in this class. Well, and I think when even when he committed, and when we did the, the day after signing day kind of accolades and discussion about that, I mean, mention of this, and, and, and for those who don't know, he was a kid that was, like, surefire four-star top 247 prospect as a sophomore offers from LSU, Maryland, everywhere, and then got hurt, missed his entire junior year. And your junior year is the most important high school season as far as recruiting goes, period, period. I don't care if you have an amazing senior season. It might be too late for a lot of schools to even look at you or take you if you don't have an amazing season until senior year. And some might just write it off and say, Hey, yeah, you're the oldest kid on the field. You should be good. But your junior season is the most important one. And he got hurt on the first drive of the first game and missed the entire season. 
He missed the entire spring. He didn't get the test. And his ranking just kind of came down and nobody was sure what was going to happen. And some schools backed off and West Virginia just kept up on it. So he is a guy that has that kind of elite top of the entire recruiting class potential. So I don't think it's crazy that he's in the mix. I, I thought it was, I, I thought maybe we were crazy for not including him even in our discussion about potential um, travel team roster. I mean, I, I have 14 linemen listed on my thing and, and he wasn't one of them. I, you know, I think I, I only had nine or 10 traveling, but I, I listed 14 and for consideration, but didn't include him. And the only reason I didn't include him was because we haven't heard anything about him. That was the mm-hmm. first mention of Jordan white off all camp. Am I, am I wrong? Um, yeah. Cause that's a guy that I've had like on my list. I'm a little post-it notes here about guys that I hear about and cross off and I didn't hear about him. Brown. I finally heard about at the very end, Sam Brown, uh, Frazier was early Sparrow, uh, he's mentioned a bunch, so yeah, there's guys that were mentioned. I had not crossed him off yet. Okay, so well, so let's let's look at this though. So I'm going out. I'm going on the numerical roster here. Yates, yes. White, well, let's let's put it into the side. Yates is one. Frazier's two. Moore is three. Brown is four. Uh, Mays is five. Uzebu is six. Gamitter seven. Barron's eight. Hughes is nine. Um, if Hubbard's in, he's ten. That's pretty good. It does have all two freshmen, but listen, um, if they had to play today, like, and I mean, like, there was COVID and academics and rolled ankles, whatever, and like, there's no choice. If they had to play Jordan White and Zach Frazier, would they do that before Blaine Scott and Donovan Beaver? That's an interesting question. I would say in a normal year, no, but I have not heard nearly enough good things about Scott and Beaver to think that the answer is um, those two above Frazier and White. Different positions, I know, but like if they had to go in, I think you'd see those two play before I think you see the older players play right now, which is a weird thing. Yeah, uh, and to answer the specific rotation question, uh, very tight rotation, I, I know God, coaches always love to say, well, I want to have eight in my rotation, I want to have ten in my rotation. If I were picking it right now, making a prediction – I would say it's probably going to be seven. I'm talking, I'm traveling 10, maybe 11. But I think the true rotation of guys that are going to see significant snaps, regular snaps throughout the season, um, would be the five starters, Bryson Mays and Brandon Yates. And I know you're already thinking Zach Frazier and center. And yes, I think he might be the backup center. He might be ahead of Bryson Mays. But we've seen this over the years about when it comes to centers. Because with centers, they tend to play more snaps than anybody on the offensive line, um, they, unless injuries play a factor, of course, or or play. But they the coaches want to keep them out there because they have that connection with the quarterback, because they're in charge of calling out blocking assignments and, and keeping that offensive line in check. So I think in, they're not going to do a rotation where they're rotating, uh, you know, Zach Frazier in every third or fourth drive to to give Chase Barrett a breather or to get Frazier in there or whatever. It's going to be Barrett unless he gets hurt or unless it's a blowout, period. Like It's just not going to be a rotation. So I think a true rotation might be six or seven people and yep. Bryson Mays being six and Yates being seven. You can make an argument that Mays is the most – V can be valuable, versatile player right now on that, on that front, maybe on offense, who knows, because – Let's just tick through this here. If the left tackle gets hurt, easy plug and play. That's Yates. If the left guard gets hurt, Gamitter comes out. I don't know who their third guard is if it's not Mays. I would assume Brown probably goes to left and Mays goes to right. Or they like Mays at right, but I'm just thinking that Brown has played left. But obviously, that's a solvable situation. If the center gets hurt, Mays. If the right guard gets hurt, Mays. If the right tackle gets hurt, probably Mays again too, right? So that's a lot to put on him because... Again, if he was undercooked last year at one position, he'd play a little bit of guard, too. Um, you're asking him to play three, realistically five. Um, and I wonder, like, if right, if the right guard or left guard gets hurt, do you make Mays your center and you kick Barrett out? You have some options, but you kind of see what possibilities Mays gives you. And for a guy who, let's be honest, we I, I wasn't sure he was going to be part of it this year. To this extent, he has made himself part of this, and that is a really welcome development for that front, even if it doesn't happen. The fact that he can do that and he can be guy 
I don't know, seven, eight, nine, so to speak, just as one, that's really valuable. But I, I wonder again, who's your, who's your third guard? Do you have an answer on that one? Is it him for sure? Or has he been moved from guard to tackle because he maybe is more of a tackle than a guard? That's a good point. I, the, I think we've only really heard much about him lately at that tackle spot. I mean, I know they said they, they like him at right tackle. They had him out there. Um, I don't know. I don't think he'd totally give up on the on the inside if they really needed him. Third um, guard could also be Hughes. Right. I mean, that's that's not impossible either because he, he started the first game at right guard last year, right? Yeah. So again, if something happened to a guard, maybe Mays goes outside and then maybe Hughes comes inside. So again, it's there's a bunch of flexy people on that line, which is interesting and, and valuable because rarely are you gonna have nine. But if you have seven who can give you nine, ten, let you stretch out that way, that's really helpful. And they may be up to something there. That may be a really good outcome. That's kind of under the radar. Final question from WV Blessed. And this is a good one. I could probably do this. I, I could probably spend about four hours on this and and get a spreadsheet out and do all this other stuff. But let's try to keep it to a few minutes apiece uh, here off the cuff on the air. I have not done my research on this yet, uh, aside from – a little bit on the uh, breakdown I did before the season of guys who could play on the other side of the ball. And his question is, if the entire offense, first through third string, and we'll say everybody on offense, all get quarantined due to COVID-19 the day before a game, give me your starting lineup on offense using defensive players only. <laughs> I'm going to have to defer to you on this one here because as, as Neil Brown said, you know more about this than probably anybody. Um, I really tried to find a quarterback that was tricky but i think i have one that i want um the line was difficult but not impossible and then i couldn't get a tight end (laughs) it it was kind of hard but like all right let's walk this together all right okay Um, because you haven't done this yet quarterback jackie matthews i like it i I think I i believe he might be the only one on the defensive side that actually has any experience playing that position Okay. Running back. I'm going Tyke Smith. Okay. Um, he was, for those who don't know, he was an all-conference type player for his high school team. Uh, averaged like nine yards per carry, I think, his senior season. Um, he was a true two-way threat, but I, I don't think there was any question he was a safety at the next level. But if you're asking me who's going to switch sides and play running back, uh, he is choice number 1A for me, at least off the top of my head. All right, so we're two for two. We agree on those. Um Offensive line was hard because I'm sure that some of these guys have played both ways in the past, but like, I'm trying to figure out like, could my stills be my starting guards? I think so. That's where I was going was, was, uh, stills at the guard. I, I, I try, I haven't gone again. I haven't gone through, so I haven't thought of tackles, but they are definitively two of my starting, um, (laughs) offensive linemen. Cause you know, who your starting left tackle is. Oh God. Who's that? The future starting left tackle, the Mountaineers. <laughs> Sean Martin, yes, sir. Sean Martin, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'm trying to get a right tackle, and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And then, you know, can I – that's that's the hard one there. Like, I don't have a hard time with those three. I'm trying to get to my fourth one here. And I was actually looking, like, at the defensive linemen. And just because their, their sizes are so strange, they really don't have, like, a pure tackle guy out there. Um, so then I'm thinking, all right, who's big and athletic? I would make Jefferson my right tackle just because he's so big and strong and athletic. That's my my best option as a right tackle there. I like it. Um, I got to figure out who I'd put at center, though. I think that's the only question I'd have. Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you'd have to because a lot of these defensive linemen are, are you know, 6'1", six, 6'2", six, and really – Ideally, you'd want your tackles to be somebody in that six four, six five range. That that's why Sean Martin's the perfect left tackle. Mm-hmm. So someone's gonna punch us if we ever get back <laughs> to the push guard center for this. Uh, um, yeah, center's uh, hard because it's oh, such a specific skill set. I have your tight end, Mike. This is easy. Jalen okay. Thornton. He was a very good tight end. That's right. Two yeah, years ago in high school, a very good tight end. Um, good. So that would be my tight end right there. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, Taj Austin would have been my guess because he did that in high school too, but that's mm-hmm. not a uh, pick here. Are, are we bailing on center? I don't want to, but where would you go? Like Josh there? Ritchie, I I think he was just a regular offensive lineman in Morgantown, but he's like center size, right? Mm-hmm. 
uh, Bryce Brand, center size, and that guy can do everything apparently. So like that was kind of my pick. Like, all right, here's a guy who's undersized and is used to being pretty good despite that. So six foot two fifty, could he be your center? I don't know. We haven't mentioned Jeff Pooler at all. I was gonna say I might have gone with Jefferson in the middle, just because if I can just get a block a block in the middle there, and then and then get a, another different guy, maybe Pooler at right tackle. Um, that might be the way I have to go. Uh, or, I mean, I, I won't use Austin since he's not healthy right now. But yeah, I'd probably go across the line of with Martin, one of the Stills brothers. Oh, you know what? I put Dante Stills at, at right tackle, maybe, and then mm-hmm. and then slide somebody like Pooler inside the guy. Oh, man, it's tough. All right, let's do this thing. Uh, Martin's my left tackle. Mm-hmm. Let's make. I'm trying to think who my left guard would be because I have a plan. Let's put Darius Stills at right tackle, right guard. Dante Stills at right tackle. You keep the yep. brothers next to each other. That's good. Uh, Jefferson center, sure. Uh, maybe you can do some things with him. Now, who's our left guard, though? Quay Mays. I mean, I don't, I don't think I don't know if he has any big experience there, but 6'1", 300, active hands, likes to get leverage. I could see that working. And then what, Mesidors are Bryson Mays who can do everything? Sure. Okay, we, we've solved that. So now we have Jackie Matthews handing it off to Tyke Smith. We've explained our line. Jalen Thornton is our tight end. Uh, I sorry, Bryce Brand. I still you're you're my center. I like my my theory. If you're undersized, you can still cut it. Um, receiver. Let's just keep it to three. Um, two outside guys and an inside guy. Oh, Coley is the first round draft pick, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. This is where things get kind of fun and interesting because there's there are good safeties and defensive backs or, or cornerbacks here who can maybe do some things, but you only have the two extra spots. Um, who would you get as your other outside guy? Um, I'm trying to see, here's the problem. I'm trying to remember if they are, you know, are we talking now or, or experience? Cause I, I believe it was Sean, either Sean Mahomes or Jake Long was an extremely productive high school receiver. Extremely. But Jake Long was a bad man in high school. Yeah. But you know, has he outgrown that? So maybe. Yeah, I I might go with one of those as, as one of my other, at least one of my receivers. I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Jake Long that was a very, very good wide receiver in high school. I'll see if I can find it. But, yeah, that might be. I'll fill time. You look here because his stats don't really say that. Um, your 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 picks here are, are kind of limited, too. Like, if we're talking about safeties, right, we're going to really have defensive backs left. Uh, Scotty Young would be one to think about. Oh, I know who. X free low. I mean, I know he's listed at linebacker, oh. but he was he was all state as a receiver. Yeah. Okay. So he's rather outside guy. Yeah, he's two hundred twenty pounds wide receiver. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> hey, it's it's all about getting leverage and 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 sealing off your man. I'd make him a an inside receiver for me. Um, okay. Um, I'm pretty sure that Noah Guzman was a high school receiver who moved to oh, safety junior yep. college. You're so right. I think that he might be. My inside guy, me, my other outside guy. I'm pretty sure that Scotty Young was a uh, decorated. I'm not sure to what extent because it's it's California. It's big. It's hard to get like major stuff there. But I'm pretty sure that he was a receiver out there. So those are two guys that could play inside, outside, and you hadn't probably thought about them right away. And then Okoli would be one. You you like to go big and put low out there. But then like let me just read you the other candidates here because there's some. You think oh yeah that's not a bad idea, but who knows. Um, Alonzo Adai, Dre Miller, I think Nick Troy Fortune played some receiver. Malachi Ruffin, Tay Mayo, Jaido Favoris, and then our favorite, Takori Turner. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there's a lot of potential there. Like the thought of Takori Turner with the speed that we've been told that he has um, could do some interesting things with there. But you know, I'm trying to stick with guys that I know have done it before and, and can mm-hmm. figure it out quickly because we're talking about having to figure it out on the fly. We're not talking about who's the best for give them a whole off season to prep them for this new position. We're talking the day before the game, everyone comes down with, or has to be quarantined on offense. So in 24 hours, you have to prep them to play offense. So we need to find guys that have done it before. All right. So our starting defense on offense is Jackie Matthews, a quarterback, Tyke Smith at running back. And then our offensive line is going to be Sean Martin. Quay Mays. 
That's where I'm going. I'm going Sean Martin, Quay Mays, Jordan Jefferson, and then the Stills brothers on the Darius side. Dante. Okay. We like that. Tight end, Jalen Thornton. Receivers, Okoli. I'm putting Guzman outside. Yes. Inside. Inside, I'm going low and Thornton at tight end. But okay. Uh, don't sleep on Quamazius Mosby. Okay. He was a he was a running back at uh was he I think he was West Lip, right? Yeah, running back at West Lip. They had him as a receiver here initially. He's five nine, twitchy inside guy. So more media experience. I think he could do it. And then I just I like ideas of like defensive backs who maybe can do something like can to Corey Turner just run past somebody and catch a ball. Terrell Porter seems like he can do no wrong. Um, again, Jake Long was a, a really, really good high school player, in a, in a, not in a, a weak part of the country, too. Did you find out if it was him or Mahone who played? No, it was, he didn't have the stats listed, so it might not have been him, but we'll have to see. Maybe we'll, we'll put an update on the board for the for those listening and those and, that like to read. And again, Naeem Muhammad was a receiver, slot guy, and like, Olympic level sprinter, like was in the youth Olympics and stuff like that too. So he might be able to serve a purpose. I'm not sure he starts from me, um, but I think those are some candidates to fill out that third spot. So who's our third guy then? Are you going young? Are you going, uh, I guess. Oh, I went here. low as my third receiver. Okay. I, I feel I'll do it. 40, I'll do 43 it. catches and a, over a thousand yards as a senior. All right, I'll do it. I'll zag. I'll zag when everybody zigs. I'm with you. We'll we'll win or lose together with Xre Low as our <laughs> slot guy. Now, is he an inside or outside? Like the big inside uh, guy? Yeah, I'm going big inside guy. Okay, so Okoli and Guzman. Guzman. Yeah, I'm writing outside. this. I'm writing this. I'm writing this as my depth chart in case something happens. Now. Okay, because yeah, <laughs> I think low, you know Low played outside in high school, but that was you know 20 25 pounds of muscle ago. So I'm going to assume that he might be a little better on the inside, um, and he still has some of those wide receiver smarts. I love it. It's a great question. Yep. And I think I, and I'm proud of us for only taking 10 minutes on that. Cause I could truly have gone, I, we could have done a whole podcast on that. And, uh, Hey, if we didn't have football, we might have, but might the, have. Good news is, <laughs> the good news is we do have football and, um, and only a few days away, Mike, and I'm ready for it. I'm sure you are. I know the fans are, I hope our message board is so that we can divert just, discussion to to that to talking about how mad everyone is about a run on second down in the second quarter um that's that's the kind of anger i'm looking for and arguments mm -hmm. i'm looking for on the board uh from now on so but i think we can wrap it up now we this quick quick q a just under an hour yeah not bad not bad at all um but we'll do this again we'll, we're going to try to do this every week right mike we're going to Post it up after the game. Let you guys ask your questions either about the previous game or the upcoming game or or even fun stuff like this. Uh, you know, we tend to have a lot of fun with these off-the-wall type questions, too. So anything you got, you ask it, we'll answer it. Um, mostly. <laughs> mostly. Mostly, mostly. But that's going to wrap it up this time. Um, and until next time, I'm Chris Anderson. I'm Mike Casaza. Thanks for listening.